Chapter 7. How to Make the Scale Your B. When I was a kid, I put a band-aid on everything. Skin your knee? Put a band-aid on it. Rough up your elbow? Put a band-aid on it. Got a freckle? Put a band-aid on it. Wait, is that an open patch of skin, unprotected and vulnerable to the elements? Yep, put a band-aid on it. I even once put a band-aid on my dresser drawer because it had a scratch on it. Mom called me the Band-Aid Queen of 1978, which was my first and only pageant title. My little three-year-old brain decided that a band-aid was the answer for everything. And that's fine for a three-year-old, though mom did get a little tired of running out of band-aids. But these days, with diet culture, the scale can be seen as the answer to everything. And that can get you into trouble. Quote, To the man who only has a hammer, everything he encounters begins to look like a nail. Abraham Maslow. When the scale is the only tool you're using to measure your weight loss progress, everything is either wonderful or terrible. There is no in-between. I can walk up to the scale feeling pretty good about myself and even expecting to see some positive results. But then if the number comes back and it's not what I expected, that one little number can ruin my whole day. Why is it that a piece of plastic and metal that sits on the floor can have so much power over us? The scale is a tool that produces data. It gives you a number. You know what else does that? A calculator. Have you ever felt bad about yourself because of a number that showed up on the calculator screen? Yeah, me neither. But the scale is a different story. Why? The problem is not the number itself. The number is neutral. The problem is what we make the number mean. What are you making that number mean about you? Maybe you're thinking, what am I doing wrong? This always happens. I never lose weight. When the scale doesn't tell you exactly what you want it to, you get frustrated. And over time, frustration can lead to giving up. But it doesn't have to be that way. First, let's put the scale in perspective. The scale is a useful tool in your weight loss toolbox but it's a bit of a blunt instrument. The number on the scale is not always directly correlated to what you're eating. There are all sorts of things outside of your control that can make the scale go up temporarily. Here are just a few examples of things that can make the scale go up that aren't, quote, your fault. Hormone fluctuations, an injury like a bruise that leads to swelling or recovering from a medical procedure, lifting weights, because lifting weights creates micro tears in your muscles, The body heals and strengthens the muscle, but part of the healing process involves little bits of fluid and swelling to tend to the muscle. Salty food, foods high in starchy carbs, especially bread, pasta, rice, and potatoes, because they soak up water like a sponge in your body. Poor sleep last night, needing to have a bowel movement, even the weather. So it helps to keep the scale in proper perspective. Reality is a shipwreck compared to perfect expectations. Not only is the scale a little fuzzy when it comes to exactly measuring your weight, but then there's the story in your head about what it's supposed to do. Whether we admit it to ourselves or not, we all have a countdown clock in our minds that tells us when we should expect to see results. However, that countdown clock may not be based in reality. Often, the reality of our progress does not align with our expectations. We think we should be losing faster. We think the scale should only go in one direction. We think that we're doing it wrong if the scale doesn't move down or, heaven forbid, goes up. 
In the book, there is a diagram about expectations versus reality. And on the left-hand side, it's got a little graph that says how we expect weight loss works. And it is a straight line that goes basically straight down over time. And then on the right-hand side, there is a graph that says how weight loss actually works. And it is a very bumpy, squiggly line that starts high and eventually goes low, but there are some ups and downs throughout the process. The way you feel about your progress is relative to your expectations. Imagine I gave you $100. If you weren't expecting anything, you'd be thrilled. If you were expecting $1,000, you'd feel ripped off. It's the exact same result, but different expectations create very different emotions. Reality is a complete mess compared to perfect expectations. The level to which you feel awesome or awful is relative to what your expectations are. That's not to say you shouldn't aim high, but there's nuance. Have high expectations of yourself in generalities and low expectations for specific events. For example, let's say you're going to a barbecue this weekend. Have high expectations of how you can trust yourself, knowing that you can tune into your body and listen to your fullness cues, but have low expectations on eating perfectly and avoiding every single fattening food that might be there. Have high expectations of your progress over time, but low expectations from day to day or even week to week. Have high expectations of practicing your process, like meal planning or proactively choosing your thoughts, but low expectations of executing it perfectly. Let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's say you're a busy and successful professional. You've worked hard to build your business or your career to where it is over the course of the last several years. Or perhaps you're a busy mom with a full family life. Heck, maybe you're both. And you've worked hard to nurture your family or build your career over the course of the last several years. It's taken a lot of grit, patience, and determination to be at the place where you are now. Let me ask you, when you first started, what were your expectations for your career growth or your family life? Were you expecting it to be linear and predictable, always moving in a positive direction? What was your career growth or family life actually like? My guess is that there were some successes and setbacks, ups and downs, etc. along the way. Probably not every single day was perfect, and yet you persevered. You worked hard. You decided not to give up. Why would you expect weight loss to go exactly as planned when basically nothing else in life really does? Weight loss is rarely a linear process. There are ups and downs, successes and setbacks. That is normal. Expect it. What if you could adopt the same mindset you use in your career or your family towards your weight loss journey? Use weight loss binoculars. When I was a kid, I was fascinated by how you could look through binoculars one way and they'd make what you were looking at seem much closer. But then when you'd flip them around, they'd make what you were looking at seem much farther away. Okay, who am I kidding? I still think that's pretty cool. Human beings are motivated by progress, and it can be really frustrating when you don't feel like you're making the progress you want to. Long-term change takes time, and patience can be hard to come by when you're trying to lose weight. When you're in the day-to-day of trying to lose weight, it can be tough to maintain perspective. So, use weight loss binoculars. Part one, zoom in. Make the next best choice. If you can keep your focus on the very short term and simply concentrate on making the next best choice, 
then you're never more than one choice away from being right back on track. Part two, zoom out. Take the long view. Healthy weight loss is considered to be around one pound a week. If you were to take the total number of pounds you'd like to lose and calculate a rate of one pound per week, what date does that map out to on the calendar? Then give yourself grace in the day-to-day fluctuations and keep the longer perspective in mind. What a middle school science fair can teach you about weight loss. Back in the day, when I was a middle school science teacher, each year we would host a science fair. The students would need to come up with a project and demonstrate the scientific method. My favorite experiments were always the ones that dealt with plant growth because they were so straightforward and easy to see results. So for example, like, what's the effect of fertilizer on plant growth? Or what's the effect of different types of liquids like water, orange juice, or apple juice on plant growth? Or what's the effect of positive or negative thoughts on the growth of plants? Yes, there's a real impact. Try it. The students would form a hypothesis, gather data, graph the results, and draw conclusions based on their data. Often their hypotheses were correct. It's not that hard to guess that water is better for plant growth than orange juice. But sometimes the results were surprising. Either way, they still made progress. Whether the hypothesis was correct or not, they always learned something. So what would it be like to treat your weight loss journey like a scientist? Here's what I mean. When a scientist conducts an experiment, they're constantly gathering data and forming conclusions. If they form a hypothesis that turns out to be wrong based on the data, that does not mean they're a terrible scientist. They don't go around beating themselves up. If the scientists treated their experiment the way we treat weight loss, they would quit their research and pursue a career as a florist. Instead, they view their results as simply information that helps them get closer to a more accurate conclusion from the data they've gathered. In fact, a negative hypothesis can be a wonderful discovery because it gets you, the scientist, one step closer to finding out what does work. Quote, of the 200 light bulbs that didn't work, every failure told me something that I was able to incorporate into the next attempt. Thomas Edison. If we take that idea to weight loss, think of it this way. What you eat is data. Your thoughts and feelings before emotional eating are data. What happened earlier in the day or the week before binging on ice cream is data. Feeling gross after having five slices of pizza is data. Not sleeping well when you eat a bunch of sugary treats before bed is data. Your thoughts are data. How might you look at those events with curiosity and try to learn a little about yourself and your thoughts? How might you use that information to help you have more knowledge and be more prepared next time you face a similar situation? It's all relative. I like to get up and exercise first thing in the morning. Trust me, it's not that I have amazing willpower. It's that I know that I won't have the willpower to energy to do it later. So I get it out of the way before I'm really awake enough to object. Occasionally, my husband will stay in bed and work out later. He's much more disciplined later in the day than I am. On mornings when it's chilly in the house, he'll turn up the heat while I'm outside exercising. When I come back inside, it feels so hot to me. Of course, I immediately go to the thermostat and turn it down. And if I'm not sneaky enough, he'll see it and he'll say, stop turning down the heat, it's freezing in here. We are in the same house. The temperature is the same for both of us, but I'm hot and he's freezing. How do we know how we feel? 
What if I walked into a warm house after I'm all hot and sweaty and said, hmm, temperature on the thermostat says 69. I guess I must be cold. No, that's ridiculous. Looking at the scale to tell you how you feel is like looking at the thermostat in the house to decide if you're hot or cold. The thermostat measures the temperature in the house. It does not tell you how you feel. The scale measures the mass of your body compared to the gravitational pull of the earth. It does not tell you how you feel. You get to make the number mean anything you want, and you get to decide how you want to feel about yourself. If you recognize that the scale tends to get into your head, try this. Decide how you want to feel about yourself before you step on the scale. You weigh exactly the same amount before you step on the scale as you will 30 seconds later after the scale registers a number. Decide ahead of time who determines the quality of your day, how you feel about yourself, or your worth. Is it you or the scale? You can choose ahead of time to tell yourself that no matter what the scale says, I'm choosing to see myself for the miraculous creation I am. I'm not 100% perfect, and I'm not 100% awful. There's a lot to love about me, and this number is just data that can help me inform my decisions, but it won't inform my opinion of me. If you decide to get on the scale, which is totally optional, how might you decide ahead of time how you're going to feel about yourself? When the scale goes up for no reason. Okay, Lizzie, that's great. But this morning I stepped on the scale and I was up a lot. What the heck? How did I gain three pounds overnight? Okay, deep breaths. As much as the scale is simply one tool to use and you get to decide how you feel about yourself, it can still be a useful tool for weight loss. And we have a lot of years practicing looking at the scale to determine how we feel, or maybe avoiding the scale to not think about it. So it's pretty normal to still be miffed if the scale goes up. Relax. There's a good chance it's water weight. Often when the scale goes up unexpectedly, that's telling you more about what you ate yesterday rather than how much, specifically salt and carb-heavy foods. Foods that have a high salt content or starchy carbs, like pasta, breads, rice, potatoes, crackers, etc., will soak up water in your system and result in a higher number on the scale the next day. For example, 150 grams of carbohydrates converts to about one pound of water because it takes three to five grams of water to convert carbs into glycogen. I know we're getting sciencey here. Just hold with me for a second. In terms of salt, it takes four cups of water to balance out about 400 milligrams of sodium in the body. That roughly equals to about two pounds of water. If you've ever tried a low-carb diet, you may have noticed that you're more likely to need to use the restroom during the night because your body is better at flushing out water with fewer carbs in your system. By the way, pro tip, if you're aiming to look slimmer for a specific event like a wedding, one hack you can use is avoid starchy carbs or salty foods, particularly one to two weeks prior to the event. Because, like I said, foods like bread, rice, pasta, potatoes, and flour products, like crackers and pretzels, soak up water, and they end up making you look and feel a little puffy. So avoiding them lets your body lean out a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean that high starch or salty foods are bad. It just explains what you're seeing on the scale. As you get back to your healthy habits, water retention will eventually even itself out. Drinking lots of water will help your kidneys flush things out as well. However, if you notice that you consistently have food like pasta, rice, potatoes, bread, or salty foods in your diet, 
then it's going to be hard to lose weight long-term. Note, if you're thinking, oh, great, now I have to cut out carbs altogether, just stop. I would not suggest going cold turkey and eliminating foods you love altogether. That just leads to feeling deprived, and feeling deprived leads to feeling like you're on a diet. And feeling like you're on a diet suggests to your subconscious mind that one day you'll be off your diet. Whatever actions you take to lose the weight are the same actions it will take to keep the weight off. So don't do anything drastic that you can't see yourself doing five years from now. However, if you do want to look into reducing some of those foods gradually, here's a suggestion. If you were to look at those food types, like bread, rice, pasta, flour products, crackers, pretzels, etc., which type of food would you miss the least? Then, since you won't miss it that much, maybe aim to have one or two fewer servings of that type of food this week and see how you feel. Keep everything else the same for now. In two weeks, assess and see how you're feeling. If you feel ready to reduce something else, great. If not, keep things as they are. 1% changes add up over time. The pesky plateau. Ah, and then there are plateaus. Ugh, they can be so frustrating. You're logging the meals, you're eating the veggies, you're getting in some good movement, and yet... The bleeping scale either says the same or you gain and lose the same three pounds over and over again. First, let's get real on what a true plateau actually is. A true plateau is when your weight stays the same within two or three pounds for more than two weeks. So when your weight is mostly the same four days in a row, try to be patient. Your body may be adjusting and recalibrating in ways that are not measured on the scale. Also, let's get clear on expectations. Plateaus are normal. Imagine you're driving across town to get to the hardware store, and along the way you stop at an intersection for a red light. Your brain does not say, oh no, we're off track, we failed to get to the hardware store, because you know that stopping at a red light is just something that happens sometimes on the way to your destination. You can look at a plateau or a stall or even an uptick of a few pounds in the same way. What if you looked ahead to your weight loss journey and expected there to be a plateau or two somewhere along the way? You could just think, oh, hello, plateau. I've been expecting you. How would that change your mindset? Plateaus are normal because the body is really good at adjusting and trying to keep things at equilibrium. Losing weight goes against the grain of what the body wants to do. A plateau is just your body doing its job effectively. It's okay. Here's some slightly nerdy science behind plateaus. So first, a little bit of vocab words. Total daily expenditure, or TDEE, is the amount of calories you burn in a day. Basal metabolic rate, or BMR, when you lose weight, your basal metabolic rate, BMR, decreases therefore lowering your overall TDEE. In other words, it lowers your daily calorie expenditure over the course of a day. Metabolic adaptation. Your body realizes that you are feeding it fewer calories than normal, so it becomes more efficient at using those calories. Um, thanks? Adaptive thermogenesis. Whew, that's a big one. As your body becomes more efficient, your TDEE, remember your calorie expenditure, decreases beyond what's expected from normal weight loss alone. 
which basically means your body slows down your metabolism to avoid starvation. So all that science means that as you get closer to your body's ideal weight, it becomes harder to keep losing weight because A, your body is smaller, so it needs fewer calories, and B, your body is getting increasingly efficient at storing away the calories for a rainy day. Sometimes your ideas around what should be a normal portion size don't adjust as you lose weight. So you can be comparing how much food it takes to maintain a lower weight to what you used to eat at a heavier weight, and it feels like a lot less food. While it seems obvious that you would put less fuel into a compact car than into an SUV, it's not so obvious when you're thinking about the fact that your smaller body now needs less fuel. One of the greatest motivators to the human mind is progress. Making a lot of effort and seeing little progress can be a recipe for frustration. Rather than getting frustrated by a plateau, try to get busy solving it. When a plateau happens, there are a couple things you can do. Number one, look at the big picture. How far have you come already? Give yourself credit and celebrate what you've already accomplished. Number two, manage your mindset. If the scale is getting under your skin, stop using it for a few days. Tune into your body and see how you feel. Number three, be patient. Lack of weight loss for a period of two or three weeks does not mean that anything is wrong. It means your body is adapting and adjusting. Number four, don't give up. If you go back to your old habits, you will gain weight. Number five, look for other ways to measure progress beyond the scale. I've known folks who've gone down two clothing sizes before the scale moved. The body can change in a lot of ways. How do your clothes fit? How is your sleep or your energy lately? How do you feel in your body? If the scale did not exist, how would you feel about your progress? Number six, to break a plateau, try and mix things up a little bit. Eat your meals a little earlier. Add in a protein. Try fewer carbs. Maybe eat dessert at 3 p.m. instead of at 8 p.m. Do a bunch of experiments and see what happens. Treat it lightly. Number seven, move more during the day. Here's a little bit more nerdy science for you. Non-exercise activity thermogenesis, whew, which is abbreviated NEAT, makes up for 15% of your total calorie burn. NEAT is not specific exercise, like time on the Peloton. NEAT is the kind of movement you do during the day, like standing up from your desk two or three times per hour, or moving around the house or the office. Pick things up, put them down, go upstairs, come back down, etc. Just get more general movement during the day. Number eight, consider a small increase in healthy calories one day a week. Because a bunch of studies published in fancy journals show that, quote, overfeeding or increasing your calorie intake after a period of being in a calorie deficit can increase your leptin, the satiety hormone, and energy expenditure in the short term and contribute to fat loss over time. Basically, that science speak for give your body a gentle reminder that there's no famine and eat a little more one day. Just make it as healthy as you can and try not to go overboard. And number nine, try experimenting with smaller portions for a week or two. It's easier to treat a small change lightly in your brain when you think of it like, let's just experiment for a little while and see what happens. Remember, if you simply keep going, reaching your goal is inevitable. Don't give up. You've got this. 
Change the metric. One time in high school, some friends of mine and I decided to make cookies at a sleepover. Since there were four of us, we divided up the tasks of measuring out the butter, flour, salt, baking soda, etc. We mixed up all the ingredients and tossed them in the oven and waited eagerly for the cookies to come out, after several spoonfuls of dough, of course. However, when the cookies came out, they didn't look quite right. They were kind of runny and burned. What happened? As we investigated, we realized that whoever was in charge of the flour had put in one and a half cups of flour instead of two and a half cups. The process of making the cookies definitely impacted the result. We live in an outcome-focused culture. It's human nature to want to see results from our efforts. However, we often forget that the results are the outcomes of whatever process we use to get there. Focusing only on the scale is like making cookies without paying attention to how much flour you put in the mix. Focusing only on results leads to perfectionism. Perfectionists need positive results to motivate them to go through the process. It's like having blind hope that finally this time this diet will work. When those results don't show up as fast as you expected it, it feels demoralizing and can lead to giving up too early. If the scale is getting into your head, perhaps it makes sense to remove it from the equation for a little while. Here's the thing. The scale measures a result, not actions. When you measure your progress by the scale, you're looking at an end product that is not completely within your control. Let's say you have an injury and your body has inflammation. The scale goes up. Let's say your hormones are in their natural cycle and it's causing some water retention. The scale goes up. There are many reasons why the scale may not behave the way you expect. Some of those reasons are within your control, but not all of them. By using the scale as your only and ultimate measure of success, you're gambling your feeling of success and the positive rewards you get from seeing progress on something that's not 100% within your control. So first, identify the actions that create the results you're looking for. Then measure your progress based on the positive actions you're taking. It is those actions that will ultimately create the results you want. When you only focus on results, it can get discouraging. Sometimes you can even stop doing those positive actions because you feel demoralized. And that, of course, then guarantees a negative result. So change the metric. If you can shift your focus to feeling proud of yourself for the very real and tangible positive actions you've been taking, then you can cultivate positive emotions that help you maintain progress. Here are some ways to measure your success based on actions that are within your control. Exercise. Number of minutes walked per day or week. Number of consecutive days of stretching. How about for nutrition? Number of days eating a veggie as a snack or number of consecutive days without eating after 7 p.m. How about portion control? Number of meals eating on a smaller plate? Trying to improve your mindfulness? Number of times you put the fork down during a meal? Let's say you're trying to reduce the amount of something. You could measure the number of days I only had X amount of whatever. Do you sometimes have a hard time giving yourself credit for how much progress you've made? Is your eye on the prize instead of on the little things you've been doing consistently every day? It can be so easy not to even see the progress you've made because you're so focused on where you are not. Progress comes from owning the actions you've been taking, 
because it is in those actions that you are becoming the kind of person who can build the future you are driving towards. There are so many things you can measure to track your success that are within your control. Bank your progress on the tangible ways that you are positively changing your life and the results will take care of themselves. What's the whole point anyway? The whole point of this journey is not about hitting a number on the scale. You may get sidetracked by the number on the scale, but it's not really what you're after. The reason why we pursue any goal is because of how we think it will make us feel. A person doesn't buy a fancy car for the car itself. They buy the car for how they think they will feel when they're driving it or how owning it will make them feel about themselves. Weight loss is no different. Most of the time, the reason why folks want to lose weight is because they think it will make them feel confident or healthier or sexy or worthy or enough. It all comes down to how you feel. You can do all of that without ever looking at the scale. The scale does not measure your level of self-confidence or how much energy you have. The scale does not tell you how happy you are, nor does it measure your ability to have a good day. The scale does not measure your sexiness or worthiness. You get to decide all of that. What would it be like to let go of what you're making this number on the scale mean to you? Let's do a thought experiment. Though it's unlikely, let's say that you don't lose any weight or any more weight. So scenario A, you don't lose any more weight and you decide to give up. You go back to eating mindlessly or even punishing yourself with food. Where are you five years from now? Scenario B, you don't lose any more weight. However, you begin to notice how your body feels when you eat salads for lunch and more fruits and veggies in general. You start to sleep a little better and have more energy. You just sort of feel better. The foods you used to eat make you feel bloated, sluggish, kind of gross. So you decide that most of the time you'd rather have the healthier food because it just feels better. Where are you five years from now? Scenario C. You don't lose any more weight. However, you do a lot of work on your relationship with your body and you begin to learn to appreciate yourself and your body. You take time to proactively look for what's right about you and you feel like you have a partnership with your body. You realize that your body is the vehicle through which you get to experience everything in this life. Where are you five years from now? In all three scenarios, you are the exact weight you are today, but the outcomes are very different. What is this journey really about for you? If it's only about hitting a number on the scale, you can get there and still not be happy. Sometimes the heaviest things you have to lose are your thoughts about yourself. When we try to hurry up weight loss based on our own timeline, we miss the most important part of rebuilding our relationship with ourselves. The scale can be a useful tool on your weight loss journey, but not if it's going to wreck your mindset. Your mindset is your most powerful asset. What if the number on the scale is just neutral data that's telling you something about your experiment? What are you waiting for? Janelle is a wife, a mom, a business owner, and an altogether amazing human. But she was feeling frustrated. Everything feels so hard. I feel like I'm pushing all the time to exercise or avoid sugar. And God forbid, don't eat bread. So I asked her, what's this all for? 
how do you want to feel in your body? And she said things like, well, I want to feel capable and strong and flexible. I want to feel beautiful. So I said, okay, what's an example of something you did today in which your body was capable of completing it? Like getting a cup of coffee, maybe. And then I asked her, what's an example today when you were strong enough to do something? Like open a drawer to get a shirt. What's an example of when you are flexible today? Maybe bending down to tie your shoes? And what's an example of one thing that makes you feel beautiful? For example, I really like my eyes. So often I see clients stuck in the belief that they will feel better or proud or whatever once they lose weight. They don't think they can access those feelings now. That belief creates so much suffering. Why wait to feel good? The key is to identify what feeling it is that you want to feel, and then get to work looking for evidence of that in your life already. The more you can bring that feeling into the present, the more your future becomes your reality. You don't have to wait to enjoy your life based on what the scale says. You don't need to weigh a certain amount or be a certain gene size in order to feel the way you want to feel about yourself. Look for evidence today.